Man, Steve fucked this whole week up. <laughs> Minecraft Steve. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, Steve is full of chaos magic. I never even played Minecraft, to be honest, but I never really liked Legos. Um, so I was, like, never really too good at, like, building stuff. It was always just like, look, it's a spaceship. It was just a bunch of, like, flat stuff. You didn't like Legos? What kind of kid were you? Everything looked like a Star Destroyer. That's what I'm saying. It was just like, all right, cool. Or as a house. Ugh. So I just got bored with Legos, and that's why I never played Minecraft, so. Dude, if, if all you got from Legos was a Star Destroyer and a house, that, that's user error. I'm just not into those types of games, really. Like, where it's just like, be creative. I'm like, you do it. You be creative, bitch. <laughs> I paid for it. <laughs> I paid for you, you to be creative, not me. Yeah, I'm creative all the time. I'm not here for this shit. I need a break. Fingers. Hey everyone, this is Days Ahead. And I'm Nitroid. You're listening to the Kojima Frequency. Have you taken a look at what the, the Smash Brothers mural looks like now? No. With as many characters as they've added? I haven't. I swear to God, ever since they added Minecraft Steve to it, it looks like what you would expect to see if you hit top results on DeviantArt. <laughs> I remember seeing like at E3 and it was already like huge. Now they've added all these other people. It's probably just gonna look ridiculous by now. And they got like six more. Just put Dante in, just so everybody will shut up. That's what they did with Steve. Put that's probably what Nintendo said. They said, put Steve in to get these kids to shut up and buy our game. And Sakurai was like, no, I want to put in like. Five more Fire Emblem characters. Well, people are joking that, like, oh, well, now we have another anime swordsman. (laughs) (laughs) Put in Fortnite. I mean, oh, God, no, please. Put in Travis Scott. (laughs) Dude. Yeah, he's in everything else. We are, like, eight steps away from Goku now. You know how they have, like, the doomsday clock? Yeah. We need to have, like, a, a Goku and Smash clock. It's at, like, 11 o'clock now. <laughs> God, who else can they even add, like, realistically? Dante at least sort of makes sense. Gino. They could do, like, the full Mario RPG catalog. That'd be dope. Yeah, but have they ever, like, taken a character that they've made one of those me outfits and turned it into a full character? Uh, I feel like they have. Because I've noticed, like, two unspoken rules to this seems to be one the character can't already be one of the me outfits and two the character had to have started in a video game if it came from anything else they won't put it in like it can it can have been in other things but it had to like start in a video game Ah, okay so goku is kind of off the table then sorry dragon ball fans yeah you just gotta believe Meme magic will will get Goku in. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's either that or Doom Slayer. I, uh, all right, now you're talking Doom guy. My um my personal favorite. You always are supposed to have like your personal favorite that's plausible, like something that's out of left field, and then like what's probably gonna happen. And I guess my like plausible one is um the Hunter of Monsters. Because, like, they've been showing so much, oh, this exclusive, well, timed exclusive Monster Hunter information. So, you know, I'm assuming that it's going to align with 
something that Smash is going to do with Monster Hunter. There's already the Rathalos in Smash. Yeah, I was going to say, he's already in there, so where's the Hunter? Yeah, exactly. And then the, the, the trailer for that new Monster Hunter game on the Switch, they have, I think it's like the Grandmaster or whatever his name is, like grabbing an envelope for the Hunter. And I like freaked out for a second, and then it didn't happen. Look, I'm just saying, if you're going to put a trailer in a Nintendo Direct, don't have a moment where your characters fuck with an envelope unless it has to do with Smash. Like, this should be some unspoken rule. <laughs> you just don't do that. <laughs> yeah, you don't fuck with people. That's how people get, like, aneurysms and shit. Speaking of Monster Hunter, did you see the teaser that dropped today? <laughs> and speaking of aneurysms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's exactly how I expected it to look. I had to laugh because the very top comment to the treat to the teaser was, I'm not even a fan of Monster Hunter, but I feel sorry for the people who are. <laughs> <laughs> Nitro Rad said, this looks like they accidentally made a movie out of the Monster Hunter missions in Peace Walker. <laughs> right? God, that's really accurate. It yeah. is. Except that instead of getting, like, Big Boss, we get uh, Mila. Mila Jovovich again, god damn it. Making, uh, like, the same face the whole movie. Which, don't get me wrong, I mean, I love her, but... What are you gonna say? Paul Anderson's wife's gotta work. She's yeah. in so much shit, she's like a running theme in this podcast. This is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> can, can we get her on? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm a little worried if we keep talking about her, she'll end up in the Metal Gear movie. <laughs> yeah, we keep talking about, like, memeing things into existence. This is a self-fulfilling prophecy waiting to happen. <laughs> Yeah, and she's going to infiltrate Shadow... Like I said in like a few episodes ago, she's going to infiltrate Shadow Moses. She's going to have two side characters help her, Meryl and Snake. And then like Snake is going to fall in love with her. She's going to wake he, up in Shadow Moses. Yeah, that's what you said. <laughs> yeah, she's going to wake up in Shadow <laughs> Moses. Not she's probably she gonna, She's going to wake up in the, old, in, the, in the new world in this movie. I bet you, I bet you $5 in the Iceborne expansion that she is going to wake up her crew might still be like conscious, but she's gonna like wake up in the middle of the of the new world and be like, "What is this?" Right before Rathalos just like swoops down. Yeah, that movie's probably gonna suck. I don't know. What have y'all been playing this week? A lot of Among Us. Yeah. And and what do you think about it? I think it makes you a very good liar. <laughs> well, that and makes one of you, us. <laughs> yeah, you've just you got to learn how to manipulate your friends. And it, you, you feel kind of scummy after each round, like, God, I really took advantage of them, didn't I? But it's also really satisfying. It's social engineering, really. <laughs> it is. It really is. It's training kids to be deceptive and to vote. <laughs> Damn. I guess that's the kind of game that we need right now. I've also been playing a bit of the original Demon's Souls. Are you getting ready? No, I'm, I, I don't like the remake. I'm probably the only person on the planet, but... Not even going to give it a shot? I don't know, maybe, just for lack of games on the PS5, but yeah. I don't like the look of it. I feel like they completely misunderstood the tone of the original. You know, I thought, I, I figured you would give it a chance because it is being developed by Bluepoint. And as you know, Bluepoint made the Metal Gear Solid HD remakes. But I think, it, yeah, in terms of, I guess now instead of looking at 
history, we're looking more so at the fidelity of it all. And whereas, you know, Metal Gear was sort of one-to-one, I guess they are throwing in their interpretation of Demon Souls with this remake. It's a little more, it's a little more, um, oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? That's a little more invasive, I guess. <laughs> it reminds me more of Diablo than Demon Souls. Interesting. And I'll probably give it a shot. I'm sure mechanically it'll be fine. I think it's just like the color palette and just like the just the art direction kind of just like what they're doing. Yeah, and and just monster design as well. Like the Vanguard right off the bat looks nothing like he did originally, but it looks like what you would expect a like a bro gamer remake of that monster to look like. Gotcha. And 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 all I can think of is it reminds me so much of the remake of Shadow of the Colossus, which I know I'm kind of bucking popular opinion here, but I felt like they misunderstood that too. Yeah. Like Blue Point's whole approach seems to be let's make it more beautiful, right? And yeah, more dust detailed. It off. Yeah. And yeah, and and like they don't seem to understand that this wasn't necessarily a side effect of the lack of graphical capability of the platform it was on like these were also very intentional design choices so like shadow of the colossus you know you go into this world and it's very desolate and unwelcoming and barren and life is sparse and you're supposed to feel like this land is dead that you're walking into it is forbidden yeah and then you go into the remake and it's lush and beautiful and bright green and it like you, like it's a completely different feel. They just don't appreciate the patina. They're like, let's let's clean that off with some Windex and just get that <laughs> off right. of here. Jesus, what is and, this um, dirty I'm, shit? I'm, I'm glad you made that point about you know there's a balance between the graphical limitations and and the art direction because I do feel like in some ways um, Shadow of the Colossus was a product of its time where some of those limitations really brought out and emphasized the art direction of what they were looking look, going for. And in that way, you know, it's, it's why I kind of don't want a Silent Hill 1 remake, particularly, <clears throat> excuse me, particularly a Silent Hill 1 remake. <laughs> now without because, fog. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, you couldn't God. see anything. We had, to, we had to clean that up. Uh, but yeah, like beyond just like, you know, whatever the remake developer's opinion on fog is, I feel like that sort of aliased, rigid PlayStation polygon, low polygonal look of Silent Hill one really brought out the art direction of this like B horror movie with that leaves sort of a lot to your imagination. So I I don't want that to be cleaned up. I don't want to give that more polygons. I want that as it is. Yeah, you are spot on. And to that point, you know, PS1 has become sort of an indie game aesthetic that's grown in popularity over the past several years. So like there's this one group that I keep an eye on because they they turn out some interesting things. And I'm probably going to mess up the name, but I think it's like Haunted PS1. But they're sort of like this retro indie game group that specifically tries to collect people who are making PS1-style horror games, you know, or games in that aesthetic. And yeah. they're, and you get all these cool little experiments, and, you know, they're hit and miss, but that's a whole scene now of, of like, let's make, a, let's make a PS1-style game, and there's a lot of interesting stuff out there. So I'm trying—you just reminded me. I'm trying to find their Twitter account right now. 
Oh gosh, if I find it, I, I need to find this because if I don't and I don't credit them correctly, I'm gonna feel like the biggest asshole. Um, but there's this art account, I think it's called like the D-Generator or something like that. And it takes modern assets from video games and it brings them down to like a PS1 3D level. And I yeah, think they, I know what you're talking about. Oh, it makes it like isometric. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, he it's like D makes, right? Yeah. Because I know about like the PS1 D make channel. It's sort of like retro wave, right? And I right, I really appreciate it. I, I think it's if if this is going to be the next indie wave, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm wondering what's going to follow it too, because right now PS1 is sort of the hot thing. But are we going to like go into PS2 next? Because then that's just like sort of low-budget indie game anyway, so it's not so much a style. One game I've been playing this week is uh, Blazing Chrome, and that's kind of like this, like, hyper-evolved version of, like, 16-bit, you know, where it's, like, damn good sprite art, you know? It's not just like, look at me, I'm 8-bit. Kind of like Metal Slug, you know, like how how those uh, characters and sprites looked, where it was like, this is a step above what they're doing um, on consoles at the time, so... Uh, that game's really fun. It's basically just like a Contra, like a Super Contra, but, you know, done now. I was going to say, I haven't played it, but I've seen it, and it's it's pretty impressive what they're able to pull off. Yeah, it's really fun. And I love seeing devs now that are kind of revisiting these older games and saying, okay, well, now that we've got these tools and this knowledge of of what these old games are like, let's go back and try to not just improve upon it, but make something in that vein that is faithful to the period, but is also more informed than those developers might have been at the time because yeah. we have all these extra extra things that we can work with. Yeah, that game, The Messenger by uh, Sabotage Studios, that was a good example of that. Yeah, it doesn't feel like something that would have been out of place at that time. It just feels like, oh, this is that, but of a higher caliber. Yeah. So I think I found the guy's name. Uh, his name is The Regressor. It's, it's mostly art, so it's not like anything that's in a particular model um, or in a game or anything like that. But not only does he break down the models to something like sort of these polygon, like low poly count models, but he also adds, you know, a very rigid animation to them as well. Okay, yeah, that's dope. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's very PS1-esque, yeah. Or it's like maybe, I don't know how many frames that run cycle is. but Right, exactly. And there's a, there's a subtlety to making it seem like it's a, an authentic piece from that period. Yeah. Because there are a lot of low-poly game makers and artists who, it doesn't, it doesn't quite fit that aesthetic because a lot of the time when they make these, when they made these games in that period, they were working under very heavy restrictions. And when you don't have those restrictions, you're just trying to kind of emulate it. It doesn't come off the same way. And this, this sort of reminds me of why I'm, I'm hesitant to um, want a remake of MGS1. And despite the fact that, like, everybody wants a remake and everybody wants Blue Point to do it, that terrifies me. And it, it, you know, it, it has to do with those reasons I mentioned earlier where I don't feel like they understand visual tone very well. They just seem to, they mistake more detail, more color with better art direction. And that's not necessarily the same thing. If you go back and you look at MGS1 on the PS1 and then you compare it to the Twin Snakes, 
in terms of just not looking at model fidelity, but looking at something like color design, there yeah. is no comparison at all. The Twin Snakes is bland and gray and just utterly uninteresting, in my opinion, compared to MGS1 that's that's doing these subtle things with blue and green and there's not a whole lot of like gray. It's it's working with shadow very carefully, but it's actually a very colorful game. Yeah. And and yeah. the Twin Snakes is almost devoid of color in a lot of ways. That was a very like 2004 thing to do though, you know. Yeah. That's true. But my point is this, like that was a game that was supervised by Kojima Productions. It was made by Silicon Knights and I believe, you know, to be fair, it was made in a very short span of time, but it was supervised by the original team. So even then, it didn't quite meet up to that caliber, in my opinion, in terms of overall design. So, like, I'm just I'm just worried now that we've got the major artistic influences of Metal Gear Solid have been, you know, they're they're no longer there. So if there's going to be a remake, uh, it's just going to be a lot of deep blues and he- and high contrast. I think that's that's more or less what it's going to look like. I mean, what do you think about with like the good old games version? I mean, with with Integral, is that is that an improvement with this edition that just came out over what you know, with like how it kind of looks sharper <sighs> and all the textures and everything? I don't think so, but I, I know some people really like how that looks, and I get that. I'm gonna say, it did I it like... look like that in the in the original version of Integral? Was it that like uh, polished up, like with the pixels and stuff, or is that a new addition to the GOG version? That is a new addition where they where they okay. do the texture filtering and they make it look smoother. That's brand new. Gotcha. Integral was more or less the exact same as MGS1, but with additions to it. Gotcha. Yeah, I never played that so, on, on PC, so I just have like no frame yeah. of reference. I just look at this one. I'm like, hey, that, that actually looks pretty good. Kind of, you know, sharpened up a bit. I can appreciate the PS1 version as well, but, uh, you know. It's kind of funny. If you have a way to play MGS1 Integral, the game is fully English. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, there's like a few things that aren't, but... The, the idea behind Integral was Kojima was such a big fan of the English voice acting that they did a re-release that had the English voice acting. Uh, okay. And you can set the text to English as well. So minus a few things, the game's almost entirely in English. Mm-hmm. So you can, as long as you have a method to play an imported PS1 game, there you go. Uh, going back to the point about the filtered textures... Um, I know I'm going to sound a bit like a hypocrite when I say this, but I kind of don't think that they were like, I think they were an improvement, but I don't think it affected the the tone of the game and the art direction. Like they just look better, yeah. but I don't feel like they muted any of the atmosphere of shadow Moses. And that's, I mean, that is like a huge thing. For yeah, me. I agree. Yeah. That's why I appreciate it. I'm just like, all right, cool. That they did what they could do with, with what they had. They weren't trying to replace models or do You know, it's just like everything just looks sharper and cleaner. Yeah. And they weren't adjusting the colors. It's pretty crazy actually with like the, with the release on PC, like the, the speed run community, you know, they're, they're like right back on it. They've been chomping at the bit for something new. Fired up. Give me a new version to, to play and exploit and beat. Yeah. And how. Uh, I actually had one of the speedrunners. Uh, I've been streaming Metal Gear Solid 1, and one of the speedrunners, uh, Perfect Stealth, he's been adding a little tidbits in the chat about, like, okay, well, this is what the speedrunners have been doing. Um, so, yeah, definitely definitely a reignited passion there. They're getting real competitive, too. They're, I think they already are having some, like, showdowns. I think uh, 
on October 9th. I think this episode will be out before then for sure. Uh, so yeah, on October 9th at, uh, let's see, 1300 uh, PDT and 2100 GMT. <laughs> Gotta love that uh, uh, across the pond timestamp. Everybody's uh, Googling that now to figure out what, yeah. what time. Like, <laughs> what is that in American? Now. Yeah. But over on uh, twitch.tv uh, slash perfect stealth is uh, where he'll be hosting his version and then twitch.tv slash Adam underscore online. He'll be, uh, they're both going to be streaming. It's going to, they're going to be doing a race to just see who can do it faster. I think it's all just going to be live. So yeah, that's going to be fun to watch. Definitely tune into that. And they've been like, from my understanding, they've been like practicing and talking shit. So, you know, that's always promising. (laughs) Nice healthy rivalry for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're not saying to place your bets, but... So yeah, shouts out to Adam Online and Perfect Stealth. They're going to be going at it, and hopefully they won't keep us waiting. <laughs> Godspeed, guys. What did throw me off, that has been throwing me off as I've been playing this game, is um, I think you mentioned this yes, or last recording, Nitroid, but um, the audio loop, where it just kind of cuts the, back to the song. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, it's been messing with me, too. I've been, I've been noticing that yeah. more often, right? But to that note, um, you know, going back to my Silent Hill comparison, um, it looks like Metal Gear and Castlevania aren't the only ones that are getting the GOG treatment. Um, Silent Hill 4 was also just published a few days ago. Yeah, that's weird. wonder why just 4. I don't remember 4 having a PC port even, just 2 and 3. It did. Um, it, was, it was so funny. I was talking to a friend of mine, and he's like, dude, wouldn't it be hilarious if... Because this was when the rumors were starting to pop up that, that Silent Hill 4 was going to show up, like a, like a day before it actually did. And he was like, it would be funny if they just released Silent Hill 4 on its own. Not 2, not 3, just 4. <laughs> and then that's exactly what happens. Because 4 is not... Um, I think it's a, it's an understatement to say that it's not really the fan favorite. It's it's pretty divisive, and it's it's not even just divisive in a sense that it's it's split in the fandom on whether you know people like it or not. But you know, even myself, I'm really divisive and ambivalent about it personally. Like I appreciate the game, but I'll be damned if I have to play it through it again. You know, the same friend made a great point about how you could easily fix that game. Take the combat out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he was exactly right when he said this, but that game does not feel like it should have had combat. I never played it. It's interesting and it has some some really creative ideas that just at the same time it doesn't quite feel like a Silent Hill game, but it's it's really all over the place. I mean, it has an interesting backstory of how it wasn't initially going to be a Silent Hill game. It was just going to be sort of a standalone thing and then they turned it into Silent Hill 4 and I don't actually know the full story there, but that's kind of the gist of it. They Super Mario 2'd it. Yep, kind of. Gotcha. So now that you mentioned this combat thing, I kind of had a light bulb moment. I'm wondering now, so if anybody doesn't know, and Nitroid, keep me honest, because, again, it's been a while since I've played. The combat in Silent Hill 4, it's it's mostly melee-based, and you have to, like, charge your weapon. And it's actually, the, the amount of time you charge is a huge is a huge factor into how you're going to hit things, your strategy with bosses, your strategy with ghosts, which, by the way, ghosts are a mob that can't die in the game. So, you know, good luck on that one. Um, But 
it like the way it's implemented almost feels like you're in a dream. You know how you have a dream when you're fighting somebody and like your punches aren't doing anything? <laughs> yeah, it's all like wading through mud. Right. It that's exactly what the Silent Hill 4 combat feels like. And I'm wondering if that was intentional or just really poorly implemented. Maybe like a little it's, bit of both. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, and then you look at like Silent Hill Homecoming where they tried to make it kind of combat centric. And that's just hilariously bad in comparison. And it makes even less sense. Like, yep. <laughs> it, directly contrad- it, it directly contradicts their twist. Yeah, it does. Because, yeah. I won't get into it if anybody hasn't played it, but you're not missing much. I was going to say, if somebody's up our ass for spoiling Homecoming, then you need to, like, advocate better for yourself. If you've played Silent Hill 2, you've played Homecoming. Yeah. Except except way better. You've played, yeah. You've you've ate a filet mignon. Don't don't go get a a Big Mac. Yeah, it's... I, you know, I got to go back and play Silent Hill 4 because it does have some really compelling elements, you know? It does. I love the idea of having the two worlds where you've got your apartment that's, you know, when you're in your apartment building, which is kind of your safe room, it's first person and you can kind of look around and interact with it to a bit, to a degree. And then you travel through a hole in your bathroom wall that takes you into Silent Hill or I I don't remember, is it, is it Silent Hill or like a town adjacent to Silent Hill or... I don't remember the specifics of the story. It's been a really long time. Um, yeah, if I recall correctly, you're almost going to correct this. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait. Um, you're trapped in your apartment because you are in the apartment of Walter Sullivan, who is currently at the tail end of his 21 sacraments ritual. Um, in which he basically goes on a serial murder spree to summon his mother whom actually abandoned him as a child. Ouch. Yeah, sucks for him. Um, anyways, yeah, I think it's it's just a quest of you trying to prevent that. And, and one thing I did like about the game, and again, this goes back to my ambivalence about this entry in the series, is the game you play as... Fuck, I forgot his name. Henry Townsend, I think his name is. Yeah. Um, and that, that's actually a great thing to point out because Henry Townsend as a character, kind of forgettable. He's almost like, a doesn't have that much dialogue. Um, I think there's one point where he walks in on a, uh, one of his, like one of his acquaintances, like body, like bloodied up. And his only response is like, are you okay? Or some shit like that. <laughs> um, but I think that was deliberate in a sense that. The story of Silent Hill 4 is not the story of Henry Townsend. He is just a, a guide for you as, as you go through the story of Walter Sullivan. And I always yeah. thought that was cool. But at the same time, like, I, I, hate, I hate escort missions and I hate unkillable enemies. And that's, it's a good comparison there because going back to that same friend I mentioned earlier, he sort of drew a comparison between what Silent Hill 4 seemed to be going for and the Clock Tower series, which is very similar to what sort of what you described, where it's more about the family than it is about the the, the protagonist, if you've ever played those games. Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, and I really love, like, the first Clock Tower on the SNES, so... Yeah, and it seems like Silent Hill 4 could have been sort of a modern take on those, but then they had to sort of shoehorn combat in. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But what I liked the most about four was this idea of taking a safe room, which is your apartment. Now, the, the idea is over time, as you play the game, your apartment room that you use as your safe room, essentially, is slowly possessed by, you know, spirits or influences from Silent Hill. And you have to sort of make calculated decisions on how you're going to exorcise your room to make it safe again. Otherwise, you can actually get hurt in it. And that idea of taking the safe room and slowly, gradually making it unsafe is a really interesting concept. So it becomes like when you start, your your comfort can be found in your apartment and the dangerous area is Silent Hill. And by the end of the game, if you haven't really been be taking care of your room, yeah. <laughs> yeah, then it sort of swaps, which is really interesting. And I was going to say, if I recall correctly, uh, that actually affects your ending in a sense that that's it's one of two factors that affects your ending. So yeah, it's it's not only like something that kind of flips its head, but it's almost something that's mandatory to determine your conclusion. You need to exercise your room, Bucko. <laughs> My apartment ain't got no business looking like this. Faces coming out of the walls. Damn, bitch, you live like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and another game I've been playing was uh, the Avengers. And something that that game did that really just made it, like, not as fun for me was the whole, uh, how they added in, like, gear and leveling up the gear and just all the stuff was basically, it it really didn't matter. It didn't really affect combat that much, you know? It was just kind of like whatever I had equipped was like, yeah, that'll work, that's fine. And I can get how, like, eventually for, like, in-game people and on multiplayer that that could matter, but it just, it kind of dragged it down. That's something that, like, Metal Gear Survive did that I kind of didn't like either, where it was just like, all right, this is a different sledgehammer with 30-plus critical rate. I don't know. I'll be honest. Any interest I had in the Avengers, whatever little was left, went away with Endgame. Yeah. (laughs) I can understand that. Yeah, I feel like... I feel like Avengers, at least the the concept, the IP, is is not something that you want to try to aim the like the loot shooter at. Yeah, um, that was the, like the part of just like running around in, in combat and being Hulk and being Iron Man. Like that was fun as shit. But I was like, I don't need gear options with like, if anything, just like eventually give me a new suit or eventually give me a new thing. It's like cool. Now you're leveled up. Like I just miss Chrono Trigger style leveling up, where it's just like, all right, yeah, you're leveled up cool these things went up there you go well the game is like it's got such a prestige brand attached to it that you can tell they wanted to get as much money out of it as possible so what's a what's a way to take a game and stretch it out as far as we can and make as much money from it as possible and bleed every player as dry as we can oh games as a service yeah, well, I think in that too in their defense uh, it is pretty much all just like cosmetic stuff that you buy you know with that Oh, well, that's, yeah, that's not as bad. No. Yeah, that I don't but mind. Still, like, once I, once I played through the story, I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm done with this. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm not playing multiplayer with it. I don't know. It's just done. Well, uh, in terms of, like, good multiplayer experiences, uh, so I have been playing uh, Star Wars Squadron, and that is the first time I really felt like my VR headset has paid itself off because, holy shit, it's easy to jump right in. I love, like, I play. actually spent, like, a few hours playing multiplayer online. Um, yeah. I was able to jump in with my friends who weren't playing VR. And it was almost like playing the Star Wars arcade game with your friends. I had my, I had my fan blasting. I had, uh, <laughs> I had my headset on. 
and it it looks really 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 good in VR and and even on, I don't I haven't played it much on on PC or on a regular monitor but in any case I'm trying to shop for a throttle controller or what do you call it H O T A S Hotas or whatever yeah I don't know how to and say it. it's almost as hard to get one of those as it is to get a PlayStation Five or a, a RTX thirty eighty right now yeah really I mean it was that, with Flight Simulator out yeah with Flight oh, Simulator right, Squadron right. out makes sense. I was going to say, that was really surprising that there's that much demand, but yeah, Flight Sim. I forgot about that. That's one I want to try. Probably crash in the first 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> they should do like a, a liquid steak simulator for that, where it's like you have to take out two F-35s with a high D. <laughs> yeah, how the fuck did he do that? <laughs> in a snowstorm. He was on meth. Come on, two F-16s. Did he just have to wait for them to circle back? Because there's no way he fucking caught up. Like <laughs> Zero visibility. They just crashed on their own and he took credit. Uh, good call. If uh, as soon as he took off his like shades in that codec call, I would have been like, wait a second. Okay, now that you're here, how did you take out those, those fighter jets? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, brother. How did you take out a tank? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Uh, well, I think that is actually a good segue, another good segue. So we know that we have like a huge backlog of questions and we haven't forgot about them. Just a lot has been going on and I guess we can start taking those questions, right? Yeah, we got a bunch of questions. Yeah. Sorry to everybody for taking so long to get to them. Jeez, a lot. Okay. Lars Dudestein asks... Kojima says that Death Stranding made more than enough to fund their next project, but do you think there would be enough of a hype train to fuel another five years of cryptic trailers? And does Kojima Productions seem to have longevity as a AAA company? Mm. Now, this is interesting because um, following Death Stranding's release, we didn't get a lot of sales numbers. They were very quiet on it, and Sony is usually right out of the gate, if their game is doing well, they're like, hey, look how many copies we've sold. And and they were very muted on it. Yeah. But then later, over time, there were just sort of like little bits here and there where they've said, yeah, it was financially successful. And we know it did very well on Steam after the PC release. Um, but at the same time, you can already see that like the uh, the collector's edition of Death Stranding with the, you know, BB in a, jar replica has been marked down by 50% and it's on sale pretty regularly. Yeah. There was also a clip of like, I think it was like in a, like a Kojima productions video or something or like an interview. Oh, I think it was the interview with Jeff Keighley. Keighley asked him about if he could predict the future because, you know, Corona death stranding, so-and-so. And his response was, if I could predict the future, I would have made a game that sold more. Yeah. But that could have just been him being coy about it, you know? Right. Like, haha, I like to make money, but do, should we read that as an indication of success for the game? Yeah, I did see it kind of like as, as like a cheeky thing. He was like, you know, yeah. hey, people didn't really, I didn't, it didn't get like a hundred, like, rep, you know, uh, reception uh, as he thought. It, it was a lot yeah, more the split. Where there was a lot of people were like, yo, this game sucks. Like, you know, like there, there, there was tons of that where it was like, nah, fuck this. Uh, I was here for Metal Gear, but I'm not here for 
walking simulator, which I definitely hated people, you know, that when they oh, reduced yeah. it down to that. But, uh, it, yeah. you know, there's definitely a lot more to it than that. But. but a lot of people were expecting another Metal Gear type game. And when they didn't get that, I yeah. think that might have been what put them off. To that point, you know, I mean, okay, to answer the question, no, I, I don't think that it's viable for them to have like that five years where they develop that. But I guess I'm looking at it more of, is that something that they would even want to do? Like, the Strand system has already been established. Um, you know, they have a foundation for it. We're already looking at the next gen. And now with Sony being so uh, flexible about adapting to PC and cross-play, you know, I'm wondering if that is even something, like the whole five-year trailer plan is even something that is, is viable or something that they want to do. And, and this, I guess climate quote-unquote and two you gotta wonder if it's gonna take them another full five years because they might have like some of the gameplay systems you know already in in place and they could just kind of go like all right we can majora's mask this and just kind of you know crank out another version of it with we can throw together another story but and um, and that's kind of what i'm looking forward to is is i think he said something like we definitely want to implement the stranding system in other ways. Yeah. And I mean, that's what I want to see more. I, I could give a damn about I couldn't give a damn about like more cryptic trailers. I want to see what we can do with the with the stranding system. I don't think we're gonna get like DLC for Death Stranding if that's on the table. They like like you said, they you know, they've sort of they got their engine. Yeah. They've got Decima, they know what they're doing now. I don't know if they'll necessarily go back to the strand system. They might have some sort of an analog in future games because he definitely seems interested in sort of that interplay between people, asynchronous multiplayer, as it's called. But in terms of what are they going to do next? Is it Death Stranding 2? Is it Death Stranding DLC? I don't think that's going to happen. And I guess, you know, he seems to want to do a horror game. And if you start getting into that more enigmatic storytelling territory like, like you would expect from a horror title maybe they could start going into that cryptic area again. But at this point, after Death Stranding, I almost feel like they would need a sort of AAA franchise anchored to that in order to drive interest, you know? Otherwise, people are going to look at Kojima Productions and be like, oh, look, what's he going to do? Another walking simulator? And they're going to write it off without even looking into it. Yeah. So I don't know. I think they've got enough there to sustain them. And I kind of, I don't really have anything that I'm basing this on. It's just sort of a gut feeling. But I have a, I suspect that Death Stranding didn't cost as much as people might assume it did. Yeah, with just the methods that they were actually implementing to do everything, yeah. I can't actually back that up, but I don't think it was, uh, I don't think it was a failure by any means. I just, you know, it wasn't this world-changing game like, like a lot of people expected it would be. Maybe in some ways, like maybe the enigma of it all sort of, made it seem longer or or more invested in our minds. Yeah, because we all sort of like pumped this thing up as, oh my God, what is this going to be? And then it just ended up being, oh, it's just a kind of a creative video game that does some new stuff. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, do you guys remember when they had that Cloverfield trailer? Yeah. Um, Oh, what movie had that? Cloverfield. There was like a, like... (laughs) It was a, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> it was a, um, it was like a blockbuster movie that had the Cloverfield trailer and people were like, and there was like an oh, ARG. Oh, you mean the movie that it came with? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just remember that there was that Cloverfield trailer, right? And then they had like the ARG and it was going on for like a few months and and then the movie just sort of happened. Yeah. Oh, what was that? I don't remember. I mean, does it matter now? It, no. Like, <laughs> I mean, like I said, happened. Cloverfield came and went. Death Stranding right. came and went. And it was okay. You know, I almost feel like the metagame around it or like the marketing around it was more interesting than the, than the end product. Yeah, like, okay, I can't say I feel that way because I really got invested into the gameplay and, you know, building the network and stranding and whatnot. But I will say that about, definitely say that about Metal Gear Solid Five. Like, that was the hype before that. I just remember being <laughs> way more fun than the actual game. Oh, yeah, that was insane. We didn't know what made, was going on. I made a few friends because of that, so. That one trailer that dropped, man, that just, like, that when it showed the gameplay, snake diving, you know, that was just, like, everybody was like, holy shit, this is going to be the best Metal Gear ever. And, a new breed of stealth. Yeah. And it's like the horse. <laughs> What's impressive about that whole marketing campaign is that they were also, despite the fact that they were very enigmatic about everything and everything was, you know, sort of coded in mystery, Kojima Productions was also very transparent about it. You know, they showed a lot. Yeah. But you, despite how much they showed, you never felt like you knew what was going on past a certain point. Yeah. Do you think that maybe part of it was projection in a way? Like, we kind of... Almost, I'm almost worried that Cyberpunk 2077 is doing this now, but we almost sort of put in our heads what we thought the game was going to be. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we took it further, and we're almost marketing the game to ourselves in a way. Yeah, that is a great way to put it. Yeah, the amount of memes that we made for MGSV was just ridiculous. Like, every time a trailer would drop, it was like, okay, here's a whole new batch of shit. Just surgically picking apart the trailers. Yeah, the good old days. So, next question. Lord Emmerich asks... What is your favorite of the non-Kojima games? And in parentheses, he adds, in before someone picks Snake's Revenge. Hmm. This one's easy for me. It's, it's going to be Ghost Babble. I, I love that game. I think it's, it's a near-perfect 2D stealth game with a, with a couple of blemishes, but otherwise, uh, I think that represents sort of the core idea of Metal Gear better than anything after... MGS3. And the story's like surprisingly mature too for a, for a Game Boy game for crying out loud. I'm going to say Twin Snakes because I love schlocky stuff. Uh, so Twin Snakes ironically uh, and then probably Ghost Babble unironically for the reasons Nitroid listed. Yeah, Ghost Babble's definitely good but uh, I'll say Rising uh, just because it, it kind of made Metal Gear. Well, I mean, I guess there's, you know, there's other games like Acid that took it outside of the genre, but, uh, you know, making it a card game, but just turning it into a fun action game that had a little bit of stealth, you know, there was a tiny bit in there. You got to give it to it. Um, but just just taking that formula and just in that atmosphere in the universe, that's kind of what I was like, cool, we're still in Metal Gear territory, but now we're just going full ninja mode and cutting shit up. Um, I, I appreciated that game for what it was, and it, it didn't take itself too seriously. You know, good villains, good boss fights. It had, a, like, the, the combat engine that they made for that, that Platinum did, you know, it was, it was great. So, um, I think it's a testament to the success of Rising that 
every Metal Gear game has memes that are generated as a result of it, but none of the non-Kojima games tend to have memes come out of them. But Rising... <laughs> Rising sure My shit, God. Yeah. Rising almost has more memes coming out of it than any other game in the franchise. The they memes. have memes that include the word meme in them. Yeah. That's next level. It's, it's like meta-meta, yeah. Uh, and to your point, like I think it's a great example of a, of a universe being explored beyond its original sort of restrictions. Yeah. So instead of a stealth game about Snake, we get to see sort of the world of Raiden after the end of Liquid's Insurrection. Um, and most people don't, like, when it comes to like spinoffs and stuff, most people don't explore those type of avenues or diverge that much. So I can appreciate it. Yeah, if it isn't Kojima, they just sort of ignore it. Right. Yeah. I hate to fart in the elevator here, but I'll call it canon. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna start uh, some fights. <laughs> call back to the other episode. That actually brings us to another question that we had that was like, oh, here it is. Lil X Recluse asks, if you could make a Metal Gear spinoff, what would the plot slash gameplay be like? Huh. I've got way too many answers for this. I don't want to answer first because I asked the question, but I'd be more than happy to. Yeah, go for it. I got to think for a bit if you got something ready. Yeah, so I was thinking about something a little less, I want to say, active in in terms of gameplay. I would love to see sort of like a thriller-type game that is about Ocelot being a saboteur, Um, him just sort of fucking shit up, I don't know what genre that'll be quite yet, but I'm sort of leaning towards like the puzzle slash visual novel, like Phoenix Wright type game. Okay. And you sort of just go through different periods and, you know, manipulate and connive. Um, Alternatively, I would love sort of an anthology game in a similar vein to like VR missions where the gameplay would be very uniform in a way like the the mechanics would be pretty uniform throughout the game but it would have different scenarios that outline different plots about the universe so almost like like a bunch of snake tales if snake tales was actually canon yeah i I like that idea of the anthology of just kind of having like a core thing where you're like switching up the modes and i also like that idea of the ocelot uh thing where you're kind of like trying to figure things out but uh i would like it kind of to be more like a dialogue tree thing where you're trying to like navigate conversations and like they're i don't know there could be like a cool lie detecting system where like they they get suspicious of you kind of and then you can drop that down or something i don't know i'm just kind of making up stuff as i go right That, that could be fun I think uh, like just like the Cobra unit uh, could be a great system to kind of show off that anthology thing. Uh, oh, yeah. And kind of what they did with Avengers where it's like here's this main system where you're, you know, you're fighting, but each character has different moves and different abilities and some of them can fly, some of them can jump around really fucking far. Um, that, that th- and then shit, multiplayer, the pain the fury all that together that would that would be like a good tag team game to play where it's like all right cool you know just i don't know i think that could be a good fun game but just don't make it a fucking game as a service yeah, please. <laughs> and going back to squadrons from what i've seen in squadrons so far they've done a really good job implementing 
like class-based systems and a combat, like a, a very active combat scenario. So even though we are doing dogfighting with like four different ships, you can see, see very different, very subtle differences between, you know, what each ship does and how each ship is customized and configured. So to that end, you know, I would love to have like a, a very active combat type gameplay style where, you know, you have these very distinct classes that are the Cobra unit. Yeah, just and just being in that, like, stealth environment, too, where you could just go around and have different abilities and stuff, you know, as them doing separate infiltration missions and kind of have, like, introductions to their character and kind of do a couple things that they would be good at. Like, what would the end be sent off to do? Like, you know, he would do some super sniping mission or something, you know. It would just be more, like, dictated to their style of fighting. Yeah. I just pictured this warning message or this disclaimer that was like, you must complete all Cobra tutorial missions before you can log into multiplayer. Uh, <laughs> the Fury, they were like, all right, man, we need you to go burn this weed field. He's like, got it. <laughs> <laughs> Every game has a fucking weed burning mission. Look, man, San Andreas, that, it's yeah. impact. For sure. I think there were several in Far Cry 5. Yep. <laughs> Each one of them makes you a little high when you play it. You're like, whoa, this is what being high is like. That whole high. game was about getting high. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Just tripping. Look, if, if we're going to bring up stuff that we don't like in games, now that we're bringing up Far Cry 5, if we do this Metal Gear thing, if we have to have a situation where the protagonist gets kidnapped by, like, the bad guys... Please only have it happen once. I can believe if Snake gets caught by Sniper Wolf once as he's trying to, like, rush to find Meryl. I wouldn't believe it if they did it, like, 200 times. Or I guess it was nine in Far Cry 5. Was it really? I think it was... I want to say Jeez. it was, like, it was at least... It was a, it was a handful of times. They kept drugging you, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. It was, like, yeah. That's, that's not fair. And I would read... I heard comments of people, like, like going into a house and like sitting in a corner and then they'd still get somehow get kidnapped. <laughs> uh, there was one, there is an intro where you could just sit there and then like where you're supposed to escape, like the, like you're sitting there eating dinner with the guy and then he's like, I'll be right back. And then like, you're supposed to escape. But if you just like sit there, that's like a whole ending that happens right there. He's like, Oh, okay. you didn't try to escape. All right. I forget what happens. Yeah. So. That's, yeah, uh, that's, that's Far Cry 4. Yeah. If you just let pagan men do his thing for a little bit. That's um, hilarious that you can just end the game that way. Can you imagine if you just like... <laughs> Send back the game fly, all right? <laughs> uh, it makes me think about like in Metal... Because you know, I'm actually at this part on the MGS1 PC. Like the part with Johnny where he has to go to the bathroom... Like, I know that you can actually, like, actually wait for him and be like, he'd, he'd just be like, oh, I guess nothing happened. What if you, uh, the part where he, um, where, like, Gray Fox gets you out if you really just insist on staying in the cell? Yeah. What if you actually just waited for Johnny to get out the bathroom? And he just gets out and shuts the door? Yeah, it's just like a bonus scene where he's just <laughs> like... It's got to open somehow. I'll, I'll try to help Meryl out. <laughs> what about you, Nitro? What about a spinoff? What would, what would you do with a spinoff? Okay, I'm trying to think of which way to go about this because I don't want to take up too much time. Please, um, no, by all means, I'm I'm curious now because you seem pretty impassioned about this. Well, 
One idea I thought would be interesting is to expand the co-ops concept from Peace Walker out a bit. You know that game, A Way Out by Joseph Ferris, and I'm probably mispronouncing his name. Yes, that game was great. If you could sort of take that same concept of having a full Metal Gear game that is two-player co-op through the whole thing, and you have sort of, you know, let's say you're trying to infiltrate a facility, but you've got to do these missions in parallel that might not necessarily be at the same parts of the facility. Yeah. So, like, one person is on one side of it, and the other person's on the other side, and you're, like, hacking terminals to, like, open doors and, and, and clear routes and shut off power and doing things like that. And, like, you have this sort of quasi-asynchronous stealth campaign where two people have to work together in tandem, sometimes together and some, sometimes apart. Like, make it a non-canon... Dude, Liquid Snake and Psycho Manus together? Holy shit. <laughs> oh, take it non- or I'll tell you, you want to do more interesting. If you've ever seen those videos of David Hayter and Cam Clark just riffing on each other and how much chemistry they seem to have, yeah. do a non-canon game where it's Solid Snake and Liquid Snake working together and sort of doing jabs at each other in sort of a... Make them friendly. You know, it would be interesting to see that. Uh, what's okay. So this game actually just announced it's, it's, it's not really being supported anymore. So rest in peace. Um, but resident evil resistance, that is just like a pure, you know, non-canon. What if multiplayer game? Yeah. And it does exactly what you say, where there's these like little interactions between canon and non-canon characters. And everybody knows that like Annette wasn't playing a game with teenagers and and Jill Valentine right as the Raccoon City outbreak was starting, but they just kind of humor it for the gameplay, and it, it, yeah. it worked. Yeah, just just kind of play with it. Yeah, for anybody to be like, this isn't canon, wait a minute. It's like, all right, come on, catch up. <laughs> yeah. you, must be, you must be good at parties. Yeah. So I think that would be a lot of fun to do. I think another interesting one, and I may have mentioned this before, is I want to see like a feudal Japan take on the concept, where it's more like Tenchu in a way. Mm-hmm. Didn't um didn't Phoenix Wright do something like that where it yeah, was like Yakuza did too. A lot of franchises have done have done that lately. And I think it would work well for Metal Gear. And again, it's based on that like one piece of fan art I saw like ages ago and it was it just stuck in my head. They could have a lot of creative freedom with like the gadgets and stuff that you use too. Like you just have this like weirdo guy that's like, here's something I made today. It like takes out guards with a flying needle dart, you know, just like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah. Imagine talking to like a Nastasha esque character in that setting. And I don't like literally mean like a Russian lady who's talking to everything like that kind of character. Yeah. Um, Weapon specialist expl- type, yeah. Explaining to you the history of the grappling hook. Yeah. I, you know? That was, like, that was one of my favorite aspects of Sekiro, was, like, learning about sort of the intricacies and the lore behind the different equipment and the weapons and stuff. So, yeah, I'm yeah. all for it. So you could have this really interesting historical piece that also draws from, like, Japanese uh, spiritualism and legends because you can sort of you know, integrate that into the story in a way that Metal Gear's always done, where it's sort of that magical realism. And I just feel like there's a lot of room to sort of explore there. That's something I'd really want to see. And I guess the third one is just, you know, it's kind of hard to explain, but the best I can say is that I would like to see sort of a a gameplay-centric Metal Gear, where the story isn't necessarily the focal point. But they take the various iterations of Metal Gear throughout the years. So looking strictly at the 3D games, you know, let's say Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, 3, and 4. Just take those four games. And you come up with a game that 
mixes and matches different aspects of those games into like a VR mission sort of thing. So let's say you've got a mission where you've got to get from A to B and your abilities are a mix of different things from different games and some things are enabled. So let's say you have the overhead, you're locked to using the overhead camera instead of the 3D camera. You have first person view, but you can't roll and you can't use CQC, but you can stalk. So like you, you take like different mechanics from the different yeah, games yeah. and you like, you like set up restrictions of things that you can do. No crawling, so like stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. And you create these little, these little challenges based around, you know, you can only use these moves. And I think that would be really interesting to try. Do I hear like multiplayer, like high scoreboard? It's like almost like Mario Maker. I was about to say Metal Gear Maker for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, that's something I've always wanted was like a VR missions maker. Yeah, we've talked about Metal Gear Maker, I think, before. But that's that's a good way to do it with like just different modifiers. And I, I don't know how complex it is to program a, a guard patrol, but like that doesn't seem like it. I've heard you say like that it's it's really hard to like program that stuff, but... I think well, if they you do were it just manually. to keep it basic and then have the engine, like, take care of the behavior of, like, tracking you down and stuff, but then, you know, you could go in and, and trace the guard route, be like, all right, do do this little path right here and then check out this corner, you know, just set it to loop. I, I feel like that could be possible, especially in that VR yeah, setting where you can just build uh, the stages and not be worrying about level design and, you know, it's just everything's cubic. That game we had spoken about before, uh, Volume, the one that's, you know, very, like, VR missions inspired, Metal Gear yeah. VR missions inspired, I think that also, that, that that pretty much runs off of custom maps, and it's like you said, where, you know, you put a designated path, mm-hmm. and then the AI just behaves based off of, like, a standard that everybody's familiar with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you can make maps in a game like Trials with all of these different options and behaviors i don't know why you couldn't do that with metal gear if it was designed that way from the ground up you know game ai is sophisticated enough for for independent developers at this point that there's no reason you shouldn't be able to do that yeah well it's like uh going back to the the comparison to mario maker you know mario maker works because it's mario is based off of this sort of like grid system right yeah um you could follow the same logic with Metal Gear, you know, it's based off of this, like, grid, and you have your guards with this specific cone vision. Really play off of those those standards, that, that rigid conformity of Metal Gear. And you wouldn't even need a, a, a grid system necessarily. I mean, there are so many games out there now with build-a-level options in them that are incredibly sophisticated, so... I don't know, I, I just don't think it's on their radar to do a game where user-created content is paramount like that. Oh, no, <laughs> definitely not. But it's still an interesting idea. Yeah, so those are those are my three. Dude, you can, instead of calling it Metal Gear Maker, you could just call it Outer Heaven. And it's just oh like my God. Endless, right? endless battle. Yeah, just have people making their missions for everybody. You do it. <laughs> That's do what it. I tell Konami. <laughs> you make it. I don't want to make any fucking missions. Yeah. Give it to me. I'll make a Metal Gear game. Even Mario has like uh, just play levels generated by Nintendo. Yeah. So they should, yeah, it's pretty much you do it mode. Now give us Zelda Maker. <laughs> That's definitely going to need a new you do it mode for me. <laughs> One more question. Is that what we're doing? Which question are we picking, boys? Uh, at Lulsalid ask, what would you think about Metal Gear going RPG? Kind of tagging on to that last question about, you know, 
So I guess, what would you do if it was an RPG? Hmm. Acid is pretty close to RPG in some respects. You know, you could you could tie stats into things and equipment. You would have to you would have to make it more okay. Here's an idea. Rather than one specific linear mission, what if it's uh, and I, I hate to use the term, but we've already been there. What if it's more open world, but say in an urban setting, where you're not necessarily always sneaking around, but you're also interacting with the populace to a degree, gathering information, that kind of thing. Like the division, kind of. Yeah, kind of. But you're also like accumulating gear and experience and and things like that. I'd rather have turn-based battles than go looter shooter, <laughs> to be honest. For going RPG, I mean, I I like the uh, the stuff in Peace Walker. I don't know if the division is yeah. the right way to put it. Not not the division. Gotcha. I like the idea of um, of an open world that's very condensed, but still open world. Because the truth is, the, the problem with open world isn't the. It's not inherently bad. It's just its implementation. It, it really is a, a case of like it's not the size. It's how you use it. Um, because it, it, it's true. Like the I, I've seen some like really immersive open world games but at the same time my, my fear about any sort of rpg game especially one that is very like free-flowing and open world that it ends up being a situation where it's like the gameplay loop is just like your numbers getting bigger yeah yeah well here's a thought less the division more deus ex okay yeah where interactions you have with npcs are going to change the outcome of your mission. You know, you've got different options. Are you going to go in stealth? You have different approach vectors. Are you going to, to kill guards? How's that going to reflect on you? You're, you know, this kind of more persistent world where it's not just sneaking into areas, but you're kind of living in it as well. That'd be a good Liquid Snake game too. You, you kind of just play different roles and act accordingly. Yeah, emphasis on the espionage. Yeah. One thing that I would love to see implemented if it was an RPG, and I feel like Deus Ex did this, but if it didn't, then Morrowind definitely did, is the way your stats working not necessarily being sort of arbitrarily configured by like a menu system, but allowing you to build stats just by like the more you do something. So if you decide to, to take more of like a, a vertical approach where you're using grappling hooks and you're and you're sneaking in, you know, from the top down. If you're if you're the type of person who took the the top vent in Metal Gear Solid One. You get to, an infiltration point, yeah. 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 Instead of the the bottom vent, then this would be like the skill tree for you. And the more you use like a specific gun, you know, if you use your if you use your SOCOM a lot, then your your level yeah, your, just your, your proficiency your skill level in it. with your proficiency in small arms gets bigger. Like yeah. you're better or whatever. I think that's very. Uh, I think I think that would be cool. So what I'm getting out of this is that we need a new Deus Ex game, <laughs> starring Right. Hot take: I've I've actually liked every Deus Ex game, in, including Invisible War. <laughs> Oof! How dare you? It it had its charm. <laughs> Deus X card taken away. Yeah, I was about to say.